You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. So we are looking at the fourth petition. As you remember, this is the prayer that our Lord taught his disciples. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but perhaps it's better called the Disciples' Prayer. Um, doesn't matter. So 104, it says, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? There are six. In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread. In so doing, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. So that is a very concise way to put this petition. The larger catechism is a little bit more extensive, but this gets at the heart of it. So with this petition, what happens is we focus, the focus turns to our needs in this present world. We are physical beings. We share that with the creatures on earth. We have souls, but we also have bodies that need to be sustained. It's listed fourth because God's glory, you remember, in advancing his name, hallowed be thy name, his kingdom, thy kingdom come, and his will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, takes precedence. So when we pray, we understand that he and his name, kingdom, will take precedence over our needs. But it is listed first among the final three petitions, which have to do with uh, ourselves, because we need physical life to enjoy spiritual blessings. If you're dead, it doesn't matter how much you preach to a corpse, I mean, you're dead. So what's that saying? Your, your brain and your heart can only take in what your bottom can endure, that kind of thing. And so it's this idea that we are physical creatures, and we need to be concerned about that. We need to have a level of comfort. If you've ever gone to the uh, New England churches, you'll notice that their pews are absolute 90-degree wood. That's how they <laughs> sat for two hours listening to sermons. So I think we've done a good job. Uh, is there, why would they want to do that? Why Keep them awake. Why do we think differently now? Because we're a little concerned for comfort, I think. I think it was difficult for them, and they tried to make it difficult to keep them awake. I think we can trust each other to stay awake without having a 90-degree seat with hardwood. They used to have the ushers walk around with big poles, and if they saw you sleeping, they'd poke you. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. A little tougher, perhaps, than we are, yeah. I mean, they expected 50% of their children to die before reaching adulthood. So, I mean, their, their outlook on life was a lot different than ours, you know. Now, pews and death, I'm not sure I would equate those two things, but it gives you an idea of their lifestyle, you know. So by the term bread, we're referring to all the material goods and comforts of this life. It's not wrong to pray for material blessings. It's not just food, it is drink, clothing, shelter, and whatever is needed for our temporal support and comfort. 
As a matter of fact, in the larger, it says that what we're doing in this, among other things, is praying to be kept from anything which conflicts or is contrary to our temporal support and comfort. So this gets back to the question we had a couple weeks ago, maybe, um, can I pray for my dog? You know, uh, well, you can't pray for your dog's salvation. He doesn't have a soul. But let's talk about a therapy dog. Therapy dogs are important. They're important for the comfort of the person who has the therapy dog. So I think it's entirely appropriate to pray for a therapy dog's health, you know, because that's an important part of that person's life. It does not intend spiritual blessings here. We're not talking about the bread of life. Some have interpreted it that way, although Jesus is the bread of life. We need the bread of life. But what this petition is focusing in on are material blessings, the temporal mercies of the present life. And so we're taught here to pray and ask for daily bread because our physical needs must be met on a daily basis. You, I mean, you can fast, that's okay, but you, can, you can't eat <clears throat> Monday and just expect to be nourished all throughout the week because of what you ate on Monday. You need to eat every day, our daily needs. And we're asking here for a competent portion, which means a measure of comforts that meets our needs. Now, we're going to get into this, but it's important to understand our needs and not necessarily our wants. Um, And this gets back to your point, you know, how much do we need? Do we need comfortable seats? Well, you can debate that. Um, It is lawful. The question is, is it wise? I think it is. I think if we had Barca loungers in there, that would be a different story. And you might laugh at that, but there are churches that do that. We were at a church not long ago where... The whole back half of the sanctuary had tables where they could get their coffee and sit, and they had, like, lounge chairs and stuff. That's not a good thing, I don't believe. That gives the wrong message. It teaches us to be content with our daily allowance of the good things pertaining to this life, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Last, he says... I be fully, be full, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Either of which we're tempted to do if we're not satisfied with what we've been given in this life. So this is what we're praying for. Any questions on the first slide, first panel? Okay? Is this too loud? Am I, am I reverberating? A little bit. No. Do you have a question, John? It's, it's more of just a, a question of dealing with the present world with our, our measure of needs to wants has so moved over the past 200 years since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. It, it seems hard to sort through that mm-hmm. and hard to know then how much, what, what are we, what are we giving, what, what are our needs met and so what can we count a surplus to be able to then give towards the kingdom? Right. That's a difficult question to answer. When are our our needs met so that we can give the rest to the furtherance of the gospel and the kingdom of God? That's a difficult question, and I think it has to be answered individually. I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me. I used to think, you know, well, that person lives in a 6,000-square-foot house. I mean, he's just being luxuriant. 
But then I came to realize there are some stations in life where you might need a 6,000-square-foot home if you're the vice president of the United States and you need to entertain dignitaries and so forth. So your place and calling in life might necessitate something bigger than what my place and calling necessitates, which is why I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me. But if in your own conscience and before God, you can say, you know what? I'm just content with my needs being met. Okay, then do what you want. Um, I would say that in our culture, the difficulty is that we are overly luxuriant. You know, we're, we're prone to err on the side of abundance than on scarcity, right? I think it was, was it John Wesley who ended up by the end of his life, I think he gave away like 95% of his salary yearly. So, I mean, that, not that we're all called to do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, we need to ask that question. What are our needs and what are our wants? So, any other questions on the first panel? Oh, Teresa? Just the word poverty. Yeah. Can you define that? Uh, less than our needs. I think that's poverty. I mean, everybody, every culture probably has a different threshold like John was saying, but, you know, the level of poverty in this country is probably a little luxuriant for a lot of countries. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's difficult to live in this society. And see, that's important. To live in this culture, you have to have a certain level. To live in that culture, you don't have to have that level. So it, it is relative, you know. Oh, John? Yeah, I'll make a from my, from my research, there, there is a difference between the types of poverty you see in the, in the U.S. to uh, it's like destitution poverty of I have no food to eat. Right. I am on the street with absolutely nothing and there is no potential for me to get anything. Like there's a right. street children in, in India is a different level of poverty even than right. uh, living on the streets in the U.S. The more poverty you see in the U.S. Yeah, that's a good point. It, and it's all relative. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's the street children in India, that's just, it's just tragic. It's extreme poverty, you know, and our hearts break for that. Okay, so this presupposes the lawfulness of praying for outward comforts. It's not wrong. The Lord even tells us you can pray for outward comforts, material goods, temporal mercies. And providence, where it presupposes that providence makes use of ordinary means to accomplish God's purpose. Lord, I, I would like a good job so that I can provide for my family and you can sustain their bodies so that they can receive spiritual nourishment on the Lord's day. That's not wrong. It's not inconsistent to ask him for these things in prayer. Oftentimes we get overly spiritual and think, well, we can't pray for healing or we can't pray for this or that because it's not spiritual. <clears throat> well, it's very spiritual, according to the fourth petition. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. Notice the first thing he says is good health as it goes well with your soul. So his spiritual well-being and his physical well-being. John is concerned for both. It's an important part of worship, our prayer, in which we ascribe glory to God, our benefactor. So when we go to prayer, whenever, if it's private, if it's secret prayer, if it's family prayer, if it's corporate prayer, it is worship. You are worshiping the Lord. 
So in praying even for material blessings, it's worship. We're asking him for material goods and temporal comforts, and in so doing, we honor him as our benevolent God. It's an honor for him to be asked. Lord, I need food. Who is it? Uh, George Mueller? Wasn't he the, the orphanage director in England? And it's just an amazing life and ministry of prayer. I think, I think the one story I heard, they were sitting, all the orphans were sitting around the table, and it was Thanksgiving Day. They had no food. And so George Mueller, they sat down, and he prayed. And wouldn't you know, a knock at the door. They opened the door, and there's somebody standing there saying, you know, I was moved to bring this turkey and whatever else he brought, and they had Thanksgiving dinner. It was an incredible story. And he was praying, and he understood how to pray for the material benefits of his orphans. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What a wonderful thing when he gives us good gifts in answer to prayer. He enables us to make right use of them. He enables us to improve them of the good things enjoyed in this life. So that's how God's creatures and his children enjoy and use properly the things that he gives. The things we have in this life are sweetened and they're sanctified by our acknowledgement of his wise and fatherly provision. Uh, we'll get to this. The unbeliever doesn't have the sweetness or the sanctification of those material goods. But the believer does. That's why we pray before we eat. Lord, thank you for this delicious food, this nourishing fare. Please bless this to our bodies and enable us to enjoy this and nourish us. And we do so, and it's sweetened, and it's sanctified. Apart from this, it would be an affront and insult to expect any blessing from the Creator. Weren't there ten? Where are the nine others that didn't return to give thanks? Right? For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God in praying or give thanks to Him in prayer. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So prayer for material blessings is actually an honor to the Lord. Any questions on this particular slide? Okay? So then a lawful prayer does pertain to daily needs, not luxurious wants. Lord, fill my bank account with a million dollars, please. No, that's not a good prayer. Does this mean it's wrong to acquire wealth or to enjoy great riches? You might think, well, it's wrong to be wealthy. Absolutely not. The Eighth Commandment requires that we procure and further the wealth that God gives. I am duty-bound, morally obligated, to procure and further your wealth. Thank you, Mark. Good job. Thank you, Derek. Good job. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. He bought, he got all their money. He got all their land. I always thought, this is kind of strange. Joseph, what are you doing? That was his obligation. 
He was being a faithful servant and employee of the Pharaoh of Egypt and brought all the money into Pharaoh's house. However, we have to be content with whatever God in his providence provides to satisfy our daily needs. Now, contentment is a key. And this gets back to, again, John's point. You know, we need to be content. We can't have this sinful desire just for wealth. That's not a good thing. If of God's free gift, we become wealthy without sinful aspirations to do so, then rejoice. Be glad. God's made you wealthy for a good reason, and we all rejoice in that. He equips certain believers with wealth so that it can be used for good and for the sake of the kingdom. And that's important to understand. And we need not to be envious. We need not to be jealous. We need to rejoice in that. There are many Christian benefactors who um, support Christian causes, Christian churches. um, And I would dare say it's probably more difficult to be wealthy, oftentimes, than it is to be modest because you're constantly barraged with uh, requests. You have to be discerning and disciplined in how you use this wealth. That's not an easy job. I know my father-in-law dealt with this. Uh, He was a very godly man, and he became wealthy in the last half of his life. (laughs) I used to see his mailbox was just filled with requests. And he was constantly giving money to various causes, and I thought it was a good thing. But I also realized how difficult it was for him to be disciplined in his charity. You have to be disciplined in your charity. You cannot just give willy-nilly. You must give to those causes that you can in good conscience support. So I think it's a very difficult burden to bear, to be honest with you. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need, as any had need. So there were many of those early Christians who had lands and houses. That was not ordinary. These were wealthy people. After Lydia was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, she must have had a house big enough to house these apostles and those who were with them. House churches. We talk about house churches all the time. Well, the house has to be big enough for a church. 10, 12, 15 people, 20 people. But still, you need a room big enough. And the houses back then, not all of them were that big. So these were wealthy people. It's wrong to desire riches for riches' sake. That's the issue. You just want to get wealthy. That's not good. You pray for daily bread as if it meant great wealth. No, you're not supposed to pray that you become wealthy. You pray for daily needs. But in doing so, maybe you need, in the place where God has put you, maybe you need a million dollars to give some of that to the kingdom or to help so-and-so or to build some cause, you know. So that may be the daily need. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith. John? Um, one of the portions of first, you might be getting the tip first Timothy is do not be arrogant with your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest temptations when you have money or the ability to get money is to look to that for security. Right. And or to hold on to it. I was talking to some friends and they 
speaking of, they, they had a great ability to do good, but they wanted to continue to build the nest egg more and more in case inflation happened or in case this happened or in case that hedging so many bets that they were hesitant to do good. Right. And I think that is, it speaks, it speaks to their the mo using money for security. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being shrewd and to try to provide, not just for today, but the good of your children and grandchildren. We're told to do that, right? Leave an inheritance for your grandchildren. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're right. If you're doing it because you don't trust in the providence of God, there's something wrong. Exactly, good point, yeah. Okay? So, this implies that we should be content. Again, this word content, contentment, the tenth, uh, the tenth commandment, you know, thou shalt not covet. That implies the positive, that we need to be content with what God is pleased to give us for each day. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, this, again, John made a good point. Is that it's a it's a fine line that we walk because we don't want to be anxious for tomorrow. Yet we want to be good stewards and provide for our children and grandchildren. So, again, you have to examine your own heart and determine whether or not it's contentment. If it's discontentment, if you're trying to be a wise steward, if you're being selfish and selfishly ambitious, those are difficult questions to answer. We may pray, or may we pray for future temporal comforts for ourselves and others? That's the question. Yes. If God extends our lives, we can ask for what is needed to sustain them. Lord, please, if you spare my life for tomorrow, can you please provide my needs for tomorrow? Oh, Laura? Yeah, and you know what? I don't think we would answer, we'd know how to answer that question unless it was gone. And sometimes God will take it away just to show us. He knows what, what's inside of us. It doesn't have to show him what's inside, but he shows us. Yeah, Job lost it all. We may ask to avoid destitution, impoverishment, bankruptcy, ruin, and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, if it be your will, please guard us from these things that are contrary to our temporal support and comfort. That's a legitimate prayer. But if you bring impoverishment, give me the grace not to deny your name. You know. We may ask for what we need to glorify God and do good to others in our respective stations. <clears throat> and of course, we're not denying the use of ordinary means in obtaining these things. So we're not asking God just to drop things into our lap. You know, Lord, provide me with the food necessary. Well, he's doing that because I've got a job. I get a paycheck. I can go to the grocery store the use of ordinary means. So there's nothing inconsistent with asking God for daily bread and then going to the store and buying it. <laughs> That's how he works. That's how he answers prayer. If anyone does not provide for his... Somebody brought this up. If anybody does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I know uh, my friend... 
John Bauer. Many of you know John, a wonderful man. Uh, his dad passed away when he was, I think, an early teenager, and uh, no insurance, no provision, and the family was basically left destitute. And so I think John learned from that, that, you know, he wanted to provide for his own. And so he was always <clears throat> telling me he wanted to make sure that he provided for his children if something happened to him. And I think that's important. That's part of providing for your own and the members of your household. It's not to ascribe success in obtaining temporal goods to our own diligence and our own ingenuity. Oh, I'm a self-made man. How many times have you heard that? No such thing. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. We must never take the praise of our prosperity because bread is not always given to the wise. It's not just the wise. God gives it to the foolish. There are many foolish people who have great wealth. <clears throat> they don't know how to use it properly. So our prosperity comes, if it comes, from the blessing of God, and we have to ascribe that to him. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Whatever that may mean. <clears throat> maybe a good job, maybe an inheritance, maybe a gift from a friend. Whatever it is, whatever means he uses to give you wealth, it's him, and we give thanks to him. Lord, thank you for this job that you've given to me. Thank you for the opportunity I have to provide, you know, and to give to other causes. Any questions on this slide? Mark? Just that observation, uh, sir, reminded me that we saw a tattoo last year that said self, self-made. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you know, that, you know we, we think of the opportunities we have and the experiences all go to inform. God uses every single one of them. Right. Amen. Yeah, if somebody has a tattoo, it says self-made on it. I'd like to ask them, who changed your diaper? <laughs> you know, did you change your own diaper? I doubt that very seriously. Any other questions? Oh, I'm sorry, Rob. Yeah, yeah, if need be, yes. Your cousin, your uncle, maybe your fourth cousin. I don't know how many relatives you have. Yes. Well, it could be if you think that there's a need. But it's, we've talked about the circles of moral proximity, <clears throat> that you have a moral obligation to those who are in immediate proximity, and it's like concentric circles. So your, your immediate household, and he points that out here, especially your household, that's your inner circle. You provide for their needs, no question. It goes out one, like maybe you're talking about your, your parents, your grandparents, your cousins, you know, you have an obligation, your family. That, that runs through all of scripture. Uh, your church family, your neighbors, next door neighbors, you know, so 
Now, if there's somebody in Zimbabwe who has a need, you can't possibly know that need personally. If it's communicated to you and you have an opportunity, sure, go ahead. But you're not as morally responsible for the person in Zimbabwe as you are for that person sitting on your lap. John? How do you weigh the responsibility um, with people that may have been acting foolishly or unwise with their resources and time and then put themselves into a bind? Yeah, that's a very good question. Or you give them advice saying, I think this is a bad choice. You shouldn't quit your job and do this. And they quit the job they can't find enough. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. How, what about those who are foolish and make foolish decisions and impoverish themselves? Right. Um, we faced this as a church. Just to give you anecdotal evidence, we faced this as a church years ago when somebody quit quit his job to go on some harebrained scheme that he was going to have his own business, you know, and impoverished the family. And so the church provides for her own. And we're not told that you only provide for those who are wise. You provide for those who are foolish, right? You, you rebuke them. You instruct them. This was foolish. You know, you should, have, you should have talked to us beforehand. This is dumb. But that doesn't mean our obligation is negated. <clears throat> so I think the element of discipline charity comes into play. How much of this assistance that you're giving them now is going to be used foolishly? So maybe you give it with instruction or you give it with some conditions or something like that. But you don't just shun them or ignore them or abandon them because they've been foolish. Especially as a church. In your family, you wouldn't do that to your children. Our children make foolish decisions all the time, right? Um, Whether it's financial or whatever. And you don't just abandon them, but you use that as a teaching opportunity and you try to train them, but you also provide for them. You're the safety net. We're the safety net, even for foolish Christians. Mark? I think that's a really important point that the Nugia family is that first safety net, the church the second. Yeah. And uh, somebody very wise on session and dealing with a similar case that you just mentioned, um, this person, uh, through several decisions, uh, found himself in need, but... Uh, they knew that there were some assets, let's just say, of, uh, that were needed, not financial assets, but others that they could liquidate. Right. And, uh, and uh, the elder said, our job is not to protect your balance sheet, but to provide food. So if you liquidate these assets, they happen to be guns. And, if, and they did, and there was food on the table. Right. But then we stood behind that, that person. Yeah. That's a very good point, and, and that, that's the disciplined charity. So, okay, like he said, we're not here to protect your assets. Although, I think in some cases we would say, well, we're going to try to help you protect your home. You need to have food, clothing, and shelter, the basic needs. So, but the assets, this whole collection of firearms, you know, that the person wanted to hang on to. Well, we're not here just to protect your collection of guns. So let's liquidate those, have your money, and if there's a need then, then we'll come in and provide. We're a safety net. Discipline charity. Carrie? Off of what Mark said, too. So widows and orphans don't have that first safety net. So it makes sense to me all of a sudden to enable the church in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, they don't have that first safety net. Right. That's right. 
Uh, I think, you know, the principle here, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, we are the household of faith. And if we don't provide for our own, you know, shame on us. We need to provide for our own. That principle is in play. Now, he's talking about family there, I know, but the principle applies to the church, especially for widows and orphans and those who don't have that safety net. And one of the things we used to say, I don't know how many times we've said it, but sometimes when people have come into membership, we'd say, hey, you're joining a family and we're here for you, you know? And something happens to your, I don't know, your husband, we're going to be here. Okay, so as noted, this petition implies that all temporal comforts are gifts. We have to recognize and remember that. We don't deserve them. The need to ask arises from the fact that we don't deserve these things. Nothing. In Adam, and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life. We don't deserve the next meal. I show up and there's a meal on my table. I think, wow, this is great. There's a meal on my table every single night. I'm so thankful, you know. She does such a wonderful job and God uses my lovely wife to feed. And that's the use of means. But I don't deserve that. I don't deserve those meals. I deserve to be deprived of them by God and to have those meals cursed to me in the use of them. That's what I deserve. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the days you eat of it, you shall surely die. Dying, you shall die. We have forfeited life itself, obviously, from Genesis 2.17. So, by implication, we've forfeited all the goods, all the comforts needed to support life. Death. Ruthann? You mean those things in and of ourselves or in our own nature, not who we are in Right. Yes, thank you. As children of Adam... Yep, in Adam and by our own sin we forfeited. So yes, you're right. Now in Christ, God is our heavenly Father and he provides our needs. He's obligated. He himself is obligated himself. I should put it that way. We don't obligate him, but he, he obligates himself. He, he fulfills the obligation of a father. Man has a civil right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what the government that God has appointed and given delegated authority to, that's what they should provide. But no such right in the presence of God. Does that make sense? So as citizens, we deserve from our government the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of virtue is what that means. Pursuit of living right. To, to pursue the ability to live my life as it's meant to be lived. It's not just being happy with drugs or something. Happiness means virtues. But we have no such right in the presence of God. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall produce. <laughs> That's what our right is. At the same time, The petition implies that whatever God gives is actually ours. Give us this day. Give us our daily bread. In other words, it affirms the right of private property. Not just the Eighth Commandment, but this fourth petition. The underlying principle here is of contracts and commerce between man and man. There would be no contracts or commerce if it wasn't for private property. You know, the exchange, goods and services. 
We are forbidden to steal. We're taught that each has his own property here. And so Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. Why, Paul? Because it's immoral. It's wrong to steal. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something, his own, to share with anyone in need. So, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, our stuff, so that we can give to others. Private property. It's biblical. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, Sue? Right. Right. Very good point. Yeah, the example of Boaz who left cleanings in the field, and then when he saw this beautiful Moabite, he said, "Leave a lot for her." <laughs> I have my sights on her. Yes. They did leave the gleanings, you're right. Not as much as he gave to Ruth, boy. (laughs) Unbelievers have no right, no title to the outward comforts of this life. They receive them according to God's common grace and his benevolence as their creator. The more they enjoy, the more culpable they will be before the throne of judgment. It's a sad scenario. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The reason he's giving you these good gifts is to bring you to repentance and faith in Christ, because apart from that, they're just heaping up wrath until the day of wrath. That's all it is. The more gifts you enjoy in this life without giving thanks to God, you're heaping up wrath. Kindness received and unbelieving ingratitude renders one more guilty. On what unbelievers presently enjoy is God's curse. Whatever they enjoy in this life, it's cursed. For them, it is as good as it will ever get. So the best thing that the unbeliever enjoys, let's say a good marriage or family or whatever it is that he enjoys, it's cursed because he cannot find true satisfaction in that. He cannot be content with it. The wicked are like the tossing sea. There is no peace. No peace. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Riches, wealth beyond your wildest imagination. Solomon had it all. And he even said at the height of his prosperity... All is vanity. Not that he was an unbeliever, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying he recognized that these are just things, it's stuff, and it cannot satisfy. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. Yes, this is their best life now. This is as good as it gets. Believers, as children of God, this gets back to Ruth Ann's point, and heirs of salvation have a right and title to all the good things. We have God's blessing on what we presently enjoy, and we can expect better things in the life to come. You can't even imagine the things we're going to be enjoying. 
It is only with his blessing that food nourishes, that clothes warm, that medicines heal, that preaching edifies. You go down the list. It's only under the blessing of God that these things do the good things they're supposed to do. Daniel said to the steward, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So God blessed these meager portions to their bodies. And they didn't lose any weight. They didn't lose any vigor or strength. So the difference between unbelievers and believers is stark. The best they have is cursed. The little we have is blessed. Any questions before we move on? Okay. We're taught to pray, give us, to remember one another. It's corporate. We petition God not only for our own comforts, but for those of others. We think of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, spiritual and material, but also to the interests of others. You know, I've spent 28 years living on the generosity of God's people. I'm very thankful for that. God's people have been extremely generous. And I recognize that you, as God's people, are concerned for me. And I've been very thankful. It's a wonderful example of this very thing, you know. God is the universal benefactor. We all live upon alms and gifts, every single one of us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. When you sit down and have that steak or have that hamburger, whatever it is you're eating, it's a gift. I hope we thank God for it. Every temporal good and comfort we enjoy is a gift. Let's acknowledge his goodness. This is one of the reasons we pray. There's nothing within us, nothing done by us that would merit any good thing from the hand of God. We come into this world, as we'll see, in a condition of demerit. And yet, so kind and so generous is the Lord that he gives us rich provision and feeds us the finest wheat, the vegetables that are blessed to nourish our bodies. He doesn't grow weary in giving because the springs of his goodness are ever flowing. Think of the sun. Never stop shining. Have you ever thought about that? He, he sustains the sun. I don't know how he does it. The thing is so hot. But he sustains the sun. And it's always there. And his, he's never grown weary. Thousands and thousands of years. We have the sun. He delights in giving good gifts. As a mother delights in nursing her child, or as a father delights in helping his own family, he takes delight. He gives good gifts to his enemies who enjoy rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. He even gives to his enemies, those who despise him, spurn his goodness, blaspheme his name. The very ability to proclaim your atheism is given to you by God. And they refuse to give thanks. So let's acknowledge his goodness. Let's praise his name for his goodness to the children of man. Taste and see that the Lord is good. For the Lord, you his, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. He will provide. Any questions or comments at the end here, this fourth petition? John? I'll just uh, so I ask for some more clarification from the previous 
question of there's verses if, he, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. And there's various things of kind of progressive discipline. And so I can see if a person is foolish um, that you would, might still want to help them. But I would imagine at a certain point you might say, no, I think I'm not going to help you with the situation. After these, I've helped you the last two times and you continue to act in this foolish way. Yeah. Is there, how, that, that's, that's the question that I was asking. Yeah, we don't, your good question. The question is, what about a person who will, will not work, right? Um, we don't uh, underwrite disobedience. That's a good point. So if a man is not willing to work, let him not eat. I'm going to help you find a job. I, I will provide for you. Here's a job. You know, I got the, first, the hiring sign outside of McDonald's. Go work. Ah, I don't want to do that. Well, okay, I'm sorry. That's the means that God has given to help you provide. And you're unwilling to do it, so we're not going to do anything now. Foolishness. Some of us don't have the right savvy or the wisdom or the discernment to make wise decisions, so we help and train them, and we help them even in the, the after effect, the wake of a foolish decision. That is, I think, different than disobedience. That's a very good point, though. Very good point. Uh, Melissa? Yeah. Yeah, the, the point is that we can be bold in our requests because not because we merit it, but Jesus merits the blessings. And we can do it for the sake of him. And that's true. We're going to talk in the, in the sermon this morning about petitions. And we're going to sing a song, you know, you're coming to a king. Great petitions shall you bring. Don't make them small. <laughs> make them big. I, my petitions are too small, you know. I don't ask them for enough. I'm, I'm trying to. This week I was convicted. I need to ask for bigger and better things, you know. Anybody else? Any, any comments before we close? Okay. Don't be afraid to pray for material blessings. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us to focus in on this petition. We're grateful that you are interested in our material well-being, our physical welfare. And we pray that you'll provide those things that we need on a daily basis. Prepare us now, we ask, for worship. Enable us to focus and to honor Christ, in whose name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.